Flannery O'Connor is a familiar and favorite novelist of many of us. In one of her novels, Wise Blood, O'Connor tells the story of Hazel Motes, who is a preacher of the church without Christ. Here's how Hazel Motes puts it in the book. Well, I preach the church without Christ. I am member and preacher to that church where the blind don't see, the lame don't walk, and what's dead stays that way. Ask me about the church, and I'll tell you it's the church that the blood of Jesus don't foul with redemption. That's classic Flannery O'Connor whose many writings won acclaim in the last century. It's both humorous and bizarre, as O'Connor intends it, with a stinging critique, a critique of faith, of life, of culture. In many cases still today, the name Jesus is used to bolster values and commitments that have nothing to do with the New Testament. Jesus' name can simply be a cover for a church or a group's warm hospitality or its advocacy for some social issue or some political agenda, and it could be liberal or conservative. The name Jesus has been employed to promise wealth and prosperity, as in the prosperity gospel or something else. So, You can see, when the motives take center stage, Jesus becomes just the veneer, like the church without Christ in Flannery O'Connor's novel. Just who is this Jesus person? It was only two weeks ago that Christians everywhere around the world celebrated Christmas, the highlight of the year. We know the story well. The angel appeared with a message to Mary. Don't be afraid, Mary. God has found favor with you. You will conceive and you will bear a son. And his name will be Jesus. And the story then unfolds with Joseph and a manger and a birth. And then the angels appear in the fields. Do not be afraid. A Savior has been born in Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest they sing. And it's the inbreaking of God. That's what it's about. We know it. The inbreaking of God into real life, into history, into our dusty, dirty world. The Word made flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. We celebrate Jesus' birth with story and songs with holy days and holidays with pageants and presents. But who is Jesus really? And does Jesus really affect our lives? Or are we the church without Christ? Where the blind don't see and the lame don't walk and what's dead stays that way. These are real questions because we are real people with real challenges. We begin this new year, many of us in this room, around our church community, many of us across our city are dealing with real pains and heavy burdens. We experience, again, the loss of loved ones. We have a funeral this afternoon. We have deep heartaches, many of us, 
Some of us are awaiting surgery or another round of chemo or awaiting test results. Some of us are carrying sincere questions about how do we go on in life because the darkness is dark. The uncertainty is great and life can get quite discouraging. And then there's our city and poverty and schools and transportation issues and many other major complicated problems. And then we also have coming up a new president and we have new tensions with Russia and we have questions about the intelligence community and what's really going on and we have growing problems with gun violence as we experience again this weekend and we have terror and it goes on and on so just who is this Jesus here's our second lesson for today it comes from the third chapter of Matthew it's beginning with verse 13 listen then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. So the Gospel of Matthew actually begins, like Luke, with an interesting, intriguing birth story of Jesus with lots of uh, insights and lots of detail, with angels appearing and telling people, don't worry, God's at work, and with lots of going and coming, and there's confusion and there's fear. All this is in Matthew 1 and 2. But then the story, without warning, jumps 30 years right to today's passage about John the Baptist preaching and baptizing in the wilderness. John represents the law. John speaks as a prophet. John calls the people to live faithfully. And then John says, I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, we know the birth story. And then there's been 30 years, and then we encounter John, who's like the opening act for, uh, you know, a rock show or something else, a a main attraction. He gets people's attention. He kind of gets them excited. And then verse 13 says, almost seemingly very casually, and then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. Wait, what? What's going on here? What was that? And Bible scholar and commentator Dale Bruner will not let us overlook 
all that's happening here in this seemingly casual introduction to Jesus who walks on the scene. His translation of this verse 13, and then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan, says this. Jesus makes his appearance at Galilee. It's present tense. And it's reflecting the arresting significance of Jesus coming on the scene. And it's pointing to perpetuity. Jesus' arrival is not something that happened. It's happening and it's got a future that's going to be forever. Jesus makes his appearance. John may represent the law and speak as a prophet. Jesus comes on the scene to represent not law, but gospel. Grace, goodness, hope, life. He comes to fulfill the law, not change how... He comes to uh, change how we live. Loving God and loving others is what he says it's about. He comes not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He comes not to badger us and burden us. Hey, look, we're badgered and burdened enough. We know it. Jesus knows it. He comes to bring life and life in abundance. That's what's going on here. And his very first act, the first thing Jesus does as Savior in our midst is to get into the river with us to be baptized right alongside us. Dale Bruner even calls this Jesus' first miracle, the miracle of humility. Jesus goes down with us, and his whole life is going to be about this, going down with us. He began his life with sinners in the river, and he ends his life between two thieves on a cross. This is how it is. Jesus stays low with us, identifies with us at every level. The God of the universe is also one, one with the human race in every heartache and hurt and struggle and pain and uncertainty and anxiety. This becomes very plain right when Jesus appears on the scene at his baptism. Understandably, John, the Baptist, is not sure what to do with all this that's happening. He says, no, I need to be baptized by you. You come to be baptized by me, he asked Jesus. Only in Matthew's gospel is there this little interchange where the, John the Baptist is trying to get out of baptizing Jesus. But Jesus answers, and these are his first words spoken in the whole gospel. His first words spoken, let it be so, for it's proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented and baptized him. That phrase, to fulfill all righteousness, is very important. It means to be in alignment with the power and the purposes of God. Whether we see it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we feel it in our very lives, God is always at work making things right. This is something very important to know about God. God is always at work making things right out of chaos, order, 
the first words of Scripture. Out of slavery, freedom. A main promise of Scripture. Out of the wilderness, a way. Out of confusion, clarity. Out of heartache, hope. Out of lostness, life. Out of fear, faith. Out of death, life. This is always God's way. Always what God is about. God is always at work. Fulfill all righteousness. Make things right. So Jesus goes down into the river. Jesus is one with all of humanity. Jesus comes to bring life and light. And John baptizes Jesus. And just as he came out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God descended like a dove, alighting on him, and a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Actually, Matthew's Gospel has some startling punctuation and real vitality that's not very well conveyed in the version that we read, the new RSV. There is the open heaven, which is not to be missed. There is the dove spirit descending, which is absolutely memorable and crucial, important. And there is the voice, God's voice. But the flavor of the passage in the Greek is much more emphatic and greatly conveyed with another word. Look, or behold, or behold again. Look. He uses it two times in this short telling of what happened at the baptism. Look, the dove descended on Jesus. And look, the father voice announces who this is. In other words, don't miss it. Just who is this Jesus? Well, he's the servant. And he's the son of God. We heard about the servant in our first lesson lesson that Chelsea read a moment ago from Isaiah. Isaiah 42, I have put my spirit upon him. He's the one coming. The spirit of God is upon him. He's going to bring justice to the whole world. And then there's the phrase that I love so much in that servant song, a bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not quench. Hey, look, be honest. We often find ourselves feeling like bruised reeds, beaten down by life's burdens, caught up in life's complexities. A bruised reed he will not break. The one who comes, Jesus, the servant, comes with compassion, comes with care for our hurting lives. Maybe we often feel like a dimly burning wick just barely flickering. We carry aches and we carry pains that aren't always so obvious behind the smiles that we want to depict. We carry heartache, sometimes too deep to share. And we carry guilt and shame, many of us, about various circumstances of our lives and we wonder if things are ever going to change or even if God cares about what we care about. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. The one who comes, Jesus, 
comes to encourage us, to give us life, to give us light, to keep us going. We're intended to see all of this in Jesus' baptism. Once again, God's making things right. Right. Look, the heavens open. God is with us. Look, the voice proclaims, my son, the beloved. There he is, the word made flesh to save us. Once this week, I was with a member of this church in a very desperate situation, and the person said, Alec, where is God? When is God going to show up? At Jesus' baptism, we see it. God shows up loud and clear. The heavens open. The voice confirms God is real. God is present. God is at work. God is making things right. May not be as fast as we want or as obvious as we want, but that is the promise. God is making things right, and we hold to that promise always. You know, there are only two places in the gospel, in the gospels, where we actually hear the voice of God, the voice of God from heaven, and in both places, it's the same message. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. We hear it in today's passage, a a baptism of Jesus, so we see who he is, and we also hear it and see it at the transfiguration when Jesus on the mountain with his disciples. Who is this Jesus? Well, he's real, and he's God's son, and he's God's presence and activity at work in the world like never before. In Jesus, God is giving us all of God's promises. In Jesus, God is giving us all of God's presence, all of God's purposes, all of God's peace. In him is everything God wants us to say and know and do. So the story of Jesus really begins with the baptism. So following this moment, this powerful moment with John in the River Jordan, Jesus starts his ministry. It's teaching, it's healing, it's helping, it's loving. And following this moment of humility in the river and his great identity as God's son, his life and work commence with the very important work of God. Guess what? The blind see. The lame walk, the death, the dead are raised from the dead, and all of life is seen in terms of God's promises and God's purposes. Life is about loving God and loving others. Life is not about how much money we can make for ourselves or how much acclaim we can gain or many of the other things that we give so much energy to. It's about the inbreaking of God into the world, and it's about our lives lining up with the inbreaking of God in the world, and it comes as we seek to be light in the darkness, and as we feed the hungry, as we clothe the naked, as we help the suffering, as we work for justice, and as we follow Jesus. And the story of Jesus ends. The story of Jesus ends in Matthew with Jesus preaching a, a powerful word. You know what he says? Go. Go and baptize. Go and baptize and don't forget, I'll be with you forever. Those are Jesus' final words before departing. Keep on with God's work and I'm with you till the close of the, way, of the age. You, me, we're all loved and claimed in baptism. We're 
held by God and were sent into the world to be about the inbreaking of God's purposes. That's what our baptism uh, demands of us. Our work intends to be about compassion and care and encouraging others. We are God's servants. We are God's servants, God's agents of light and help and care for one another and across the city and indeed around the world. I learned this week um, about the word of the year. You know, there's a word of the year every year that the Oxford English Dictionary people pick some word that's gained a great traction and influence in a certain year. The word for 2016, post-truth. Post-truth. As in, we live in a post-truth world. A world where emotional appeal has seemingly taken priority over factual accuracy. This word, this idea, as you might guess, found traction in the 2016 major issues. Brexit and the election. Truth and truth seem to matter less and less. What people feel or what people assume or what people presume seems to have taken the lead. So we live in a post-truth world. That is a challenging and interesting phenomenon, particularly for people of faith, for people called to be disciples of Jesus. What truth shapes us? What truths are guiding our lives? Hey, we may live in a post-truth world, but we're people who know a bit of truth. Jesus is real. Jesus comes to bring life and light. Jesus comes to show us the way. Jesus intends to be our way. That means our lives take on the character and the devotion of Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. We spread hope. We spread kindness. We work for justice. We promote peace. And we do it to the close of the age. The identity, the work of Jesus, God's beloved Son, well, that's what shapes our lives. That's what shapes our work. The identity and the work of Jesus frame our days. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief and move us into deeper fellowship with you, deeper devotion to Jesus, working in the world as disciples. Amen.